The UN says that humanity stands on the brink of catastrophic man-made climate change. But is it true? Not a chance. But we do stand on the brink of catastrophic government policies that threaten to ruin the nation our forefathers built and defended against tyranny. So what drives the climate scare, Jay? Besides simple ignorance, the scare is driven by corporate greed and the desire of governments to control all aspects of our lives, Tom. Is this part of something more sinister? Indeed it is. Whether it's climate change or a pandemic or socialism, it really means sacrificing your rights and accepting the tyranny of the fourth branch of government, the bureaucracy. It must be stopped. This is The Other Side of the Story with Dr. Jay Lair and Tom Harris of the International Climate Science Coalition. When I think of Brazil, I think of beautiful beaches, tropical rainforests, and healthy, happy people. But Jay, I understand that there's a storm cloud brewing over this marvelous country. Indeed. Poverty is what I think about most today about Brazil and a declining uh, economy. And I'm excited that we're going to learn more from our guests today what's really going on. Uh, This is the third in a series of four radio shows we're doing with uh, friends in other countries talking about science, environment and climate change uh, two weeks ago. We had uh, a guest that was a dual Canadian and American citizen talking about the differences. And last week, we had the honor of uh, having a climate scientist from Chile. And uh, next week, we'll be talking with a German uh, scientist, Wolfgang Müller. But uh, today we have with us uh, Rafaela Nascimento, and uh, I'm looking forward to You're introducing her, Tom, and and then chatting with her for an hour. Well, Jay, to help listeners gain an appreciation of what's really happening in Brazil and what lessons we can learn from her nation, our guest today is Dr. Rafaela Nascimento. Rafaela performed postdoctoral training at Ecole Polytechnique de Montréal and Université de Montréal, the city in which I grew up, so I hope my accents were right. (laughs) She contributed to the development of nanosensors and nanomaterials suitable for environmental decontamination, bioimaging, and adaptive manufacturing. Dr. Nascimento works as a research associate in the private sector developing nanomaterials for various scientific fields. Rafa, as she's known, is president and consultant of C-Intelligent, a company specializing in technical advice to high-tech companies. She is also the scientific director of Instituto Intellectos. Is that how you pronounce it? (laughs) Instituto Intellectos in Brazil. It's largely through Instituto Intellectos that Rafa is a leading activist trying to educate the nation's children and adults about the outstanding benefits of increasing carbon dioxide. Finally, Rafaela also works for Canal PHVOX, a news platform that aims to educate the Brazilian public in the context of geopolitics and counter-revolution. Brazil's at a crossroads right now, such that without strong efforts of activists like Dr. Rafaela Nascimento, the country's progress 
will be brought to a screeching halt. So welcome to the show, Rafa. Hi, Tom. Thank you for having me. Hi, Jay. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay. Did, did I pronounce your name right? Not, yes, not, you did. Nascimento. Okay, great. Over to you, Jay. Rafa, I remember a day when Brazil was a very good emerging economy, but many of us have learned that Brazil is experiencing many difficult economic uh, problems. When did they begin and what is their status right now? Hi, Jay. Uh, it's a great question in the sense that uh, it's important to talk. Uh, uh, Brazilians had a great economy in the 70s, in the beginning of the 80s, right? Which is uh, the time of the military government. However, in the political side, we had this undermining when the military government canceled most of the political parties except the left. And uh, when we start the opening of the country again, the economy went down right, uh, with the first civilian government that was, uh, uh, I believe, uh, 82, 83. And then we have a second bloom in uh, 1992 when uh, we switch the monetary to Brazilian reais. That was in the time of the, when uh, Fernando Henrique Cardoso was the Minister of Economy in Brazil. And after that, he became the president in 1995. One thing I need to say is that there is right now, we were in a path of massive growth in Brazil since uh, 2019, when we had the election of uh, President uh, Bolsonaro. And uh, the market was excited. I do believe they're still excited because they are cutting uh, uh, many regulations. They are trying to make the country more malleable for making business, right? Uh, because Brazil, it's, uh, if I can compare well, it's like you have a Ferrari with someone holding the brake pedal so bad that cannot even move. So hmm. that is the potential of Brazil. And it's how we are right now. So this government is trying to take off the regulation in many aspects. But again, we have a, a whole political scenario going in the background with uh, many political parties on the left uh, trying to create uh, different uh, regulations through the Supreme Court of Brazil. Basically, if you have... Uh, you try to get rid of one regulation, one type of tax, then the, these political parties uh, will instigate the Supreme Court, will send a letter asking, is that legal? And then everything gets stopped there, beside all the, prob the political problems well, we have with our Supreme Court. That's uh, pretty clear, and it's, it's what I've been reading about recently. Now, with your biomedical background, how did you get involved in uh, climate change, uh, the climate change fraud? And I know you have been very active. Explain how that came about. Okay. Uh, in fact, I'm a chemist, right? And uh, I remember back down in Brazil when I was uh, working in one university as a lecturer, I got censored 
when I try to explain that the CO2 would not be a problem, basically I spoke with a person in charge and I say, you know, this book is not exactly accurate. And uh, I will explain in a different way in the class because I knew there were some pressure, not necessarily from the institution, but there was a social pressure pressure in Brazil saying, oh, we have to be more green. We have to be more responsible for the environment, our land. It's, uh, and I always found that a bit fishy, why we have to sacrifice even more, taking in, uh, in uh, account that we are uh, emerging economy, why we have to pay the share right now. Mm-hmm. And then... Yeah, especially since what? carbon dioxide makes things green. <laughs> exactly. And uh, and uh, when I, I started digging this hole, I was like, oh, okay, we have a kind of hysteria here. And uh, when I understood that uh, all this climate agenda, in fact, it's undermining people's future and uh, it's being used by the left um, or by the revolution, if you want to say so, because then you can talk about the groups that have interests and are not only the leftists, to create a a state in which people are trapped emotionally so they cannot think rationally. And always I thought to my students, if you cannot think to yourself, by yourself, then it's a problem, right? And uh, many of my students in that time, they, they had this concern uh, shall we have a big family? Shall we uh, try to not uh, increase our footprints and uh, uh, carbon prints? And I'm like, this should not be your concern. You should be concerning to be a good professional right now, be a good uh, person to your family, be a good citizen to your country. Uh, you should not be worried. You are so young to be worried about what are, are your carbon fru- footprints you should not eat meat, red meat at Monday to reduce the impact of CO2. So mm-hmm. all this propaganda is there in Brazil. And uh, it took me a while because I honestly, I was busy trying to understand all these things. So it took me a couple of years. And then uh, lately in 2020, I decided, okay, now I can speak because I did my homework and I am understanding how this is undermining my country. Mm-hmm. And uh, is, I, is, the, is the entire government of Brazil behind uh, teaching that uh, the earth is imperiled by increasing emissions of CO2? Is that now a government policy in Brazil? Honestly, I cannot even say it's a government policy. It's non-governmental organization policies. That is the part that I would say it makes me angry as a Brazilian, it's see that we have so many non-governmental organizations, NGOs in my country, just telling us what we should do, pushing an agenda that is making our people more poor and less educated and creating all this hysteria. And because they know the rules, they basically go to, for example, we have some... uh, laws that can be pushed through the people, right? So basically these non-governmental organizations, they 
have a certain number of signatures saying we the people want this uh, new regulation when in fact that's not true. And then well, they- you probably you probably know already, Rafa, that the vast majority of these non-government organizations, NGOs, uh, are actually uh, Marxist groups. Their exactly. primary purpose, yeah, their primary purpose is to defeat capitalism and install socialist, if not communist. Yes, uh, it's, a, it's so, a Marxist uh, agenda, but with a green color, so people think it's good. Yeah. That's the main point. Well, they're almost all now financed by money coming from uh, China and Russia, our two enemy countries that, again, want to defeat the U.S., and it really serves their purposes to promote the uh, environmental zealot Marxist NGOs, and they're selling uh, to the people uh, trying to get rid of fossil fuel, which, of course, will take everybody back a hundred years as far as a standard of, of living. Is exactly. Brazil's government, try, are they attempting to shut down any fossil fuel power plants in your country? No. Jay, the point is uh, in Brazil, most of our energy comes from uh, hydraulic e- energy, right? It's uh, basically water. It's uh, So it's hydropower. We are, most of our energy, I would say more than 80%. So what we have in fossil fuel, it's not as much as, for example, United States or other countries in Europe. The main difference is because people are, again, saying we have tremendous emissions of CO2 and therefore we need to reduce. We had a different mindset back in 2019 when we include in this environmental agenda the people, because before all the excuse from these Marxist groups is like humans are parasite, therefore we need to mitigate or minimize human action to not destroy nature. But they don't tell the truth because in fact, we are part of this ecosystem. It's not like the ecosystems are there and we are elsewhere. No, we are part of that. No one has interest in collapse anything but we need to understand that you cannot keep people poor and keep developing countries poor because of one agenda. We have the same rights, we have the same interests, and on top of this, CO2 is not a problem. Exactly in the opposite is the solution, and the agriculture in Brazil can prove that. Yeah, when environmentalists tell me that Humans are not part of nature. They're not natural. I say, okay, are they supernatural? <laughs> you know, yes, so it's, it's, it's like a, question. we are not floating in a special cloud, right? Yeah. You have a long-term strategy in Brazil for net zero by 2050, but the UN, the actual president of the 2021 UN Climate Change Conference, he visited Brazil at the end of March trying to get you to do more. So net zero by 2050 is not good enough. He wants more. <laughs> yeah, they, want, they always want more from Brazil, right? Because uh, Brazil is supposed to be the, the young children who does nothing but uh, must obey everyone. That is how they, they keep Brazil from developing and they keep all this Marxist agenda going in the country because people keep busy, busy trying to have their lives going 
to oh. put food in their table. And I tell you, the Brazil uh, say they would reduce the, the uh, CO2 emissions by 37% uh, by 2025, back in 2015, when they start with this agenda. And uh, I tell you something, that's not go going to happen. And that's not going to happen in 2050. In the United States, the, uh, the NGOs, the, the Marxist green groups, are trying to take down the dams that we have. We have a relatively small amount of hydropower in the United States, but uh, these groups value fish more than people. And so they are opposed to the dams that are already there. They would never let a new dam uh, be built. And they say, oh, we're, uh, we're damaging the, the fish that uh, are swimming in the rivers that are uh, dammed up. Are your uh, NGOs that are spreading the lies about uh, climate change and carbon dioxide, are they in any way uh, trying to dismantle some of the dams that provide you with, as I think you said, 80% of your electric power? Yes, they are trying to, to prevent new constructions, that's for sure. Every time it's there is a project for, for a new hydroelectric power in Brazil. There is all this crying, saying, oh, we are going to destroy this part of the forest. This, But they never talk about the people who need that energy. Brazil was supposed to be self-sufficient in energy. We have coal. We have oil. We have all these hydroelectric power that are just available. And... Uh, I kid you not, we have to have some supply from outside because by all the politics these NGOs play in Brazil, we cannot build as much as we could and to be self-sufficient as we should. That it's a shame and it's what they keep doing for us. The good thing, however, it's most of the Brazilians are aware of these tricks. Before, let's say in the 80s, when I was a child, we truly believed these people had the best interest in us. We say, oh, look, uh, as the expression is more common in Brazil, the gringos that say all foreigners who come here to try to help us. Now we kind of understand they don't necessarily want to help us, but keep us in the way we are. Yeah. And we don't want to keep poor. We want developed country. We want everything like anyone else have the right. Why we cannot have the best uh, schools, why we cannot have the best economies, and especially for our native people. Why they cannot have the best if they live in the most rich land. Why they have to be a piece of zoo just dancing for tourists. We don't want that. They exactly. could do that if they want, but mm -hmm. they shouldn't that should not be the only option for them. Yeah, where can people read your writing? Uh, I have right now uh, works in Portuguese. I'm trying to have all my articles translated to English. I have education every Sunday. We have a piece in uh, PH Vox uh, that I'm trying to explain how these NGOs undermine from the childhood because I was... I cannot say I was a victim of this, but I read this 
uh, Greenpeace, uh, little books about how the species are in danger, endangered species and so on. And um, when I grew up, I was like, oh, okay, that was, was about. So if I was a different type of child that was not just curious, maybe I could be in that loop of hysteria as well. Mm -hmm. So that's Canal PL PHVOX, the news platform. Yes. Yes, okay. and uh, we have also materials in uh, Instituto Intellectus, and uh, very soon we will have another work going on uh, in the part of education. I'm just helping uh, the other folks in the CO2 coalition to, to prepare books and uh, videos for children. Oh, yeah, that's great. So people can go to CO2coalition.org, I guess, and Eventually, they'll exactly. hopefully see those things from you. Yes, we just had the first booklet. It was not my writing. It was from Gordon Fox. But uh, I had all the drawings with my great friend, uh, Tiago Hellinger, that it's another Brazilian. Because in Brazil, we have Professor Olavo de Carvalho that create all the movement, the conservative movement, and brought up the Christianity back in Brazil. So now, my generation like me, Tiago, and others, we have this sense of uh, giving a contribution and leaving something to the next generation so they can have a chance. They may can have a chance that we didn't have. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting in Canada and especially in the United States, some of the scientists that are speaking out on the climate issue have received death threats. I mean, quite serious ones. Dr. Tim Ball, for example, from Victoria, he's had five serious death threats. So, I mean, is that something that is a problem for you yet? Or hopefully never, but is it a problem at this point? I mean, for me, what's happened before, and that, that's why I, I'm kind of uh, going off of social media, it's because there is a lot of trolls. They come and uh, they say a whole lot of things that are completely unpleasant, mm -hmm. but they are what they are right? Mm -hmm. They are people who are very brave with their cell phones and in real <laughs> yeah. life they could not even take on me, so I don't mind. The point yeah, is right. they won't stop me. Yeah, no one, no one can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, the point is uh, I, I had this uh, situation because before I was giving lectures on Twitter because we cannot neglect the power of these platforms, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, for example, back in um, last year, 2020, I was giving lectures about 2030 agenda, about uh, CO2, about uh, energy, these new green energies that people believe are super green, but in fact, they are not. And then I remember one person told me, oh, but uh, President uh, Bolsonaro, was driving an electric bus, therefore everything is good. And I'm like, you know, it's not exactly like that. It's, yeah. it's good as something that in the future maybe could be useful, but we need always to keep in mind that to have these batteries, you have all this mining that I just explained. And then the person starts calling me names and I'm like, okay, if you don't want to keep the level, uh, I cannot continue talking with you. That That's it. Are solar farms and uh, wind turbines uh, coming in and 
Uh, how have your electric rates uh, fared? And have you mentioned an electric bus? Have electric uh, cars got a foothold in Brazil? So that's a, a, a large question. Talking about electric rates, wind, solar, and electric cars. Uh, love to hear your response. Okay, let me start by the electric cars because that is very fun part. You know, when you look the numbers, if you just see the percentage, Brazil will say, oh, you, the rates increase, the sales increase by 77% in uh, 2020 or 200, 256% in 2021. And you think, wow, that's massive. It's a lot of cars. But in fact, it's because they sold 4,000-ish cars, right? since 2012 and the point is electrical cars in brazil they are not as popular as the hybrid vehicles so brazilians like the hybrid because they they have that in the back of their mind if you go to a shopping mall so you can park your electric vehicle and therefore you are getting something it's part of the culture right you get something for free it's what they believe mm -hmm. but the hybrid cars are the most popular in the in Brazil, but again, if you think you have uh, more than uh, 100 million people in the country, uh, 200 million, sorry, and uh, basically you sell 4,000 cars, <laughs> it's not exactly <laughs> the dreamland for electric vehicles, right? Mm -hmm. Even if you say, "Oh, we are increasing by 256,000." Uh, 6%, sorry, it will be more 2,000 vehicles in 2,800 vehicles in 2021. So again, how that it's a big market, it's not. Yeah. It, it's, no, it's no different in the United States. Uh, we have yeah, a very a tiny amount of electric cars and uh, they increase a little bit, but percentage-wise, it's a big number. It's playing games with, uh, with statistics. Now, what exactly. about wind and solar? Is anyone pushing so, wind turbines and solar farms is, on you in there Brazil? There is this thing uh, saying in Brazil that, uh, especially in my region, the Northeast, because it's very, beside, it's just below the equator line, people say, oh, you have to have uh, solar farms and so on. But uh, they didn't really, you have some panels installed in, uh, uh, let's say, commerce place, but they are not uh, taking over the country. People get seduced by the incentive and uh, they believe they are making some money out of that. Therefore, they apply for a government loan to get their panels installed. So it didn't really become, a, let's say, a trend in Brazil about the turbines, the wind turbines. However, I remember I went back to my city uh, just uh, January and uh, I saw the same farm, wind farm we had back in the 90s when I was, I remember I had this uh, uh, day off at the school to visit these uh, wind farms. They're still there. They are the same. People don't really like them because they understood you can have a lot of health issues and uh, the most important, they figure out those turbines, they have to have a very big logistics to, to install them, to make them work. 
And uh, we have them as, uh, let's say, you cannot reuse them. There is no recycling. So at the end of their life cycle, and I have the pictures to prove, they just end up in a abandoned land. And it's, uh, it's uh, ugly. And uh, I remember I, I spoke with one local and uh, he was saying, oh, we don't know if that is good for us or not, because so far it's ugly, but we don't know what will be made of all these metal parts that are here. Basically, you are just creating a problem. So people are not- I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen to them, Rafa. You're going to have a very nice uh, sculpture park. They will not be operating. They'll still stand there because there's no money to take them down. As you already said, there's no way to recycle the blades. I had a uh, rather fun uh, opinion piece published a couple of years ago in the Wall Street Journal when uh, I explained that one day America will be one great sculpture park because we will have hundreds and thousands of uh, <laughs> yeah. not working windmills just sitting out there in, in farmland. And it, yeah. it will happen everywhere. Their life, the life cycle of a wind turbine is, uh, they, they say 20 years, I'd say it's closer to uh, 10 years. And I would say that not 10% of them uh, have the funds to take them down and uh, dispose of them. So it's, it's going to be uh, quite, quite interesting. And yeah. there is a, the point, Jay, that people don't know, or at least no one talks about that. It's uh, how harmful for the environment those turbines are. It's harmful mm -hmm. because you have birds, you have bats that get injured by those uh, turbines. And... Uh, all these people who say they prefer to take care of the animals, either they don't know about that or they just pretend they don't know and the, they keep nice in the picture mm -hmm. saying we are all green, but the green is not that green, right? It mm -hmm. has some dots of red from the blood of those animals. Oh, are they yeah. not important? Yeah. We are not even talking right now about the humans, eh? Yeah, we got to go for a break now, but on that note, wow, well, let's continue that after. Along with a healthy immune system, clean air is vital for optimal health. According to the EPA, we spend 90% of our time indoors, where germs are most concentrated. It's essential to clean indoor air. Genesis is the only technology that quickly, safely, and effectively kills pathogens both in the air and on surfaces in seconds, reducing the viral load in any environment. The powerful, well-built Genesis Fogger produces a dry, ultra-fine mist using HOCL, which occurs naturally in our own immune systems. We'll be living with airborne diseases in the future. New viruses and antibiotic-resistant superbugs are no problem for Genesis. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Visit genesisfogger.com. America Out Loud listeners receive a 15% discount with promo code OUTLOUD at genesisfogger.com slash outloud. As Americans, we seek to form a more perfect union. To paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, we are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. 
and God willing, we shall not perish from the earth. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. You've been in that situation. The person next to you is sniffling, or worse yet, <clears throat> coughing. Flu, cold, and SARS-CoV-2 are everywhere. Would you like an additional layer of protection to reduce these threats with an invisible mask? Sold by hundreds of pharmacists and medical doctors, our American-made povidone iodine antiviral nasal spray, Cofix RX, lasts for hours deactivating viruses and germs that make us sick. Find a retailer near you or buy online at cofixrx.com. America Out Loud listeners use promo code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Stay protected with Cofix RX. Our guest today, Dr. Rafaela Nascimento of Brazil, works with various groups, one of which is the CO2 Coalition out of the United States. The chair of the CO2 Coalition is Dr. William Happer of Princeton University. In the following three minutes, Dr. Happer describes the impact of increasing CO2. We'll then get back directly to our interview. More CO2 will be good for the earth, you know, and we, I'm sure you know that they put CO2 intentionally into greenhouses so that you get better uh, yields of uh, flowers and fruits and vegetables, and uh, you have to pay for the CO2, and um, so it's an expense, but it's an expense worth paying for because the results are so good. The other thing is that uh, few people realize that the Earth is in a CO2 famine compared to geological history. You know, we know pretty well what CO2 has been over the last 500 million years, 540. And um, almost all that time it's been much higher than now. So plants, trees, you know, crops are adapted to much higher levels of CO2 and they do better with more CO2. And we're already seeing the Earth getting greener from satellites. But what happens if CO2 doubles? It's 400 ppm now, and suppose it ever gets to 800 ppm. There's still a long way off, but what would happen then to world food production and to temperature? Well, the uh, measurements on greenhouses indicate that productivity goes up approximately as the square root of the CO2 concentration. And so a factor of two, if you take the square root of two, it's 40%, 1.4. And so that would be about a 40% increase in productivity of forestry and agriculture. So why is that bad? <laughs> well, because um, the Earth is at the same time warming very much. Well, the warming will be uh, quite small. Nobody quite knows what the warming will be, but the, my own best estimates are around 1 degree centigrade, maybe 1.4, maybe 0.8. That's consistent with what's being observed. I think you know that the observed warming is much less than the models have been predicting. And so the nat most natural explanation is that the models have grossly exaggerated the effects of CO2. We're told uh, entire ecosystems are going to collapse uh, with, with even the slightest increase of temperature. Well, of course, it's nonsense. You know, ecosystems are extremely tough and they're designed to handle fluctuations in temperature and rainfall and everything else. If they weren't designed that way, they would have been extinct long ago. <laughs> 
The audio you just heard is from a YouTube video put out by a group called the Grone Reckenkammer, which is the Green Court of Audit, a foundation established by engineers, scientists, and journalists out of The Hague. Our guest today is Dr. Rafaela Nascimento from Brazil. Rafaela actually has a PhD in chemistry and was just talking about the impact of wind turbines on birds and bats and animals. You were saying, Rafaela, that in fact, a lot of these turbines are terrible for the environment. Yes, uh, Ton. In fact, what's happened is uh, these farms, uh, especially in my country, they, they fence everything so you cannot go there. But uh, we know there is a lot of animals that crash against those turbines. And uh, we know, for example, from our side, there is people who are responsible to just collect them so people don't see. The, the majority of the public will see from far only the turbines working and they think everything is fine. So again, I call the attention to the environmentalists that are talking how important the animals are and so on. Think about those birds, think about the bats. The bats mm -hmm. are pollinators as well. So yeah, I, heard, I heard that a lot of wind turbine farms have people go around to collect all the dead birds before sunrise because they don't want the tourists to see them. Of course, because it's not a beautiful in a picture, right? It's it's yeah. not attractive. Yeah. You, well, you want current, to sell the green. Our current, our current government has given a permit uh, to kill hundreds of thousands uh, of, of raptors, large uh, birds, uh, because they're more in favor of getting rid of fossil fuel than they are of uh, protecting uh, wildlife in this country. It's, it's really disgusting. Yeah, but the point is when you get rid of the raptors or when you decrease the population of raptors, you are creating imbalance in the food, let's say food chain, that it's the connection between all the animals that uh, feed from each other, right? So if you decrease the population of raptors, the population that was, let's say, their food will increase and create unbalance. So mm -hmm. we are basically generating a problem for the future. And I have to tell you, it's not that far away. Because mm -hmm. again, if we also get trouble with the pollinators, how we expect we have uh, as well, how we will perform with our crops. Mm -hmm. especially yeah. those who farm organic mm -hmm. people who support wind turbines say oh well cats kill more birds than than wind turbines but i've never seen a cat <laughs> kill a golden eagle and you yeah. know, there are thousands of golden eagles killed by this altamont pass in california the altamont pass wind farm and even worse i have a friend who's an expert in bats and he says that more than twice as many bats are killed than birds because a bat if they just fly in the low pressure zone behind a turbine blade, it bursts their lungs. So, I mean, you know, this is horrible. Not green at all. <laughs> they are not green at all. And again, uh, many people may not pay attention to bats because they are not as cute, right? But uh, they are as important. Oh, well, that, that's that's debatable. I'm a I'm a bat lover and I have a- Me a too, I'm here. I, <laughs> I hear you. I have a bat house in my woods and I just love it when I'm successful in getting uh, bats to uh, use it. And of course, 
most people are aware that bats eat an unbelievable number of uh, mosquitoes. And uh, we live in the woods. And so the bats do us a, uh, a huge favor. It's, uh, it's really terrific. But going back to the environmental groups that could care less about all the birds killed by wind turbines, uh, these groups are clearly Marxists first and environmentalists second, if at all. I mean, environmentalism for most groups is a cover uh, for trying to install a Marxist government wherever they are. Yes, in fact, uh, what I can tell you, it's uh, environmental agenda for them. It's like a dress, right? They use because it's convenient right now. Like before was convenient to bash other countries because of water or because um, even now because of CO2 emissions. But uh, right now they will say, oh, it's because we have a completely ecosystem being devastated, but you don't look for that poor kid in a developing country like Brazil, like in uh, Venezuela, I would say, because they are my neighbors and we are having trouble because of everything that is happening there. And we receive all the, the refugees from Venezuela. You have no clue how much these people need development But these Marxist groups, they keep saying, no, you cannot do this, you cannot do that because of the environment. People are parts of this environment. We cannot just look at humans or mm -hmm. we cannot look at all at humans as a parasites because we are not. We live off. Well, I, can tell, I can tell our listeners, at least the younger listeners, the, the global warming scare Uh, will eventually, and most climatologists think the earth will be cooling somewhat in the next couple of decades, we'll be able to handle it easily. But uh, I guarantee our listeners, there'll be another situation like uh, global warming that the Marxists will try to scare the public uh, again with the intent on destroying capitalism and installing a socialist or uh, Jay, communist uh, government. It will go on forever. We will if, you, if you let me, I just want to tell to your, especially your young audience, because uh, uh, I'm not as uh, young anymore, per se, but uh, it's, uh, I have to say something. You don't need to be scared. So, because every time these people will change the way they will say the same thing. There always will be a problem. And uh, therefore we have to have a, a more uh, constriction in our way of living. We have to sacrifice more. They always will say that, but the end goal, it's not even take care of the environment because if they, they did think about the environment, they would not push for wind uh, turbines and the solar panels. But in fact, what they want, it's control. It's control your life. So mm -hmm. you should be going about your business and not paying attention to those crazy people who mm -hmm. are trying to scare heck out of you and saying, hey, the world will finish. I can tell you, when I was 10 years old, I listened before that the world would finish because we had some climate change. I remember there was the Rio 9-2. I was uh, 10 years old in that time. 
And uh, hey, we are still here. And uh, always it will be in uh, for next generation, next generation. It's always this bill. We, we don't have to, to agree with that. We have all the solutions. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting. Some of the groups are, are totally transparent with respect to their goals. For example, there's one group called, and you won't believe this, but it, if you check it on the internet, it really exists. And they have thousands of members. It's called the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement. And they specifically, their logo actually shows an, so cartoons of different animals with a human just as a dot, because they want humans to stop reproducing so that we die out. And yet, you know, this is very sad. I mean, they're basically portraying humans as all negative. And they don't talk about the wonderful things that humanity does, including protecting nature, you know? So in fact, um, you know, even things like coal stations. I mean, I was down at a, a coal station reclamation area in Kentucky a few years ago, and they recovered the land to a situation that was better than what the land was before. So I mean, the whole idea... Yeah, the whole idea that humans are this cancer on nature, I mean, just wrong. No, and I, I have to tell you about the farms. For example, the farmers, they are quite demonized, at least they were before in Brazil. And uh, for what I know, they, they are demonizing many other countries, including uh, America and uh, Canada. I have to tell you, uh, these uh, farmers, they they are the ones also helping to protect nature. For example, in Amazon, everybody talks about that Amazon should be a forest, no one should touch it, and so on. Just for you understand the level of regulation in Brazil, if you buy a land or if you receive from someone a land in that area, it's like you receive a three-bedroom apartment, but you can use just one bedroom. Everything else must be untouched to keep mm-hmm. as it is. That's why we have 80% of the original forest there. So what's yeah. happened, it's the, the forest, it's the yard of these people. They have all the interest to have protected. So mm-hmm. the farmers are not the villains as people picture as well. Is the Amazon really in trouble the way the environmentalists constantly <laughs> say? No, they should go there in the sea. I bet you they don't even know the Amazon is not just a forest, but we have wetlands, we have prairies, we have so many things there. I can tell you, uh, as I mentioned uh, earlier, I had my first childhood in Amazon because my, my father was a doctor and I went to north of Brazil in Mato Grosso and we were just uh, in a farm. Uh, beside the jungle, we, we were living between two uh, native tribes. Oh, and yeah. uh, it was it was the Chavantes and Carajas. And it was fun because my father always tell those things that people there suffer so much because they didn't have decent roads. They didn't have uh, uh, all the goods as you could imagine through supply chain. And uh, yet they were so resilient because they they tried to make the most of their life. And uh, you say, you know, even as a doctor, sometimes it was easier for us to just fly off a patient that need uh, that need uh, help for a hundred kilometers to stop in another farm, then send that same patient by car 
because it would not pass through the road depending if it was rain season or not. That was one of the things. And uh, you could you would literally have the roads and uh, between the, the, the trees and that it's fine. It's not something, I cannot say there is not uh, illegal deforestation. Yes, it, it always will happen. It's not from yesterday. It's a problem that always happened and it will always happen everywhere that you have forest. But uh, it's not as people saying that uh, now we are going there and just putting down the forest. No one has this interest. In opposite, mm -hmm. if you tell this to people in the north of Brazil, they get mad at you. They mm -hmm. say, you know, we are working so hard to produce uh, what they call biofarms, that basically it's uh, choosing the crops that will grow in harmony with the forest, like the cacao. They say, we work hard to have the uh, less uh, aggressive uh, uh, cattle why Why we cannot progress? That, so, that's uh, Rafa, my understanding is that since uh, the amount of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere has increased to about uh, 40% in the last, uh, well, since World War II, that the actual amount of green matter in the Amazon area has uh, increased by a measurable amount. Is, is that accurate? Yes, that is accurate. And, uh, you know, these are results also from the study uh, in partnership with NASA, not done by Brazil, done by uh, American uh, University. And uh, the point is, the Amazon, it's just full of solutions. And the CO2 was always the greatest partner from Amazon, not just from Amazon, from Cerrado, which is another bioma in Brazil, from the uh, for the catching, which is the bioma of my region, and the whole country. The whole country is green because of CO2. And we cannot... You know, I want to build on... I want to... Uh, Tom mentioned uh, a moment ago that uh, uh, coal mines in uh, uh, Canada have been uh, brought back and uh, covered over when the coal mining ended. Uh, this would be very interesting to our listeners, but in Ohio, if you fly all over Ohio and you want to find where there used to be coal mines, uh, look for the most beautiful vegetated areas because the, the law requires the coal mines uh, to bring back the nature that actually existed before uh, coal mining began and then ended. And so you can literally find where the spent coal mines were in Ohio flying over and just looking for islands of unusually great vegetation. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's the same. For example, in Brazil, the regulations say you need to preserve 60% of the forest or vegetation. But when you go near to Amazon, that number jumps to 80%. So if you have, for example, to use someone for mining and so on, you have to try to recover that land as well, or any land just beside it's a, it's a trade-off. You cannot just use the land as you wish. So again, these uh, environmentalists, they should go to Brazil, 
or they should go to Ohio and understand that technology and all these great people who are doing jobs to make the, all our lives better. In fact, they are also doing a great favor to nature because they are doing preservation of forests and so on. And again, these CO2 emissions are good also for food production. We should never forget that. Mm -hmm. It's so not fun double... to not have food. I come from yeah. a region in Brazil that people starved before because we didn't oh, have wow. water because of droughts. And it's so not even, fun. Even if we doubled CO2, then you wouldn't be worried. Not at all. Actually, I would tell you thank you because what would happen for us, it's uh, if you combine that, especially in my region with water, we would be the most green area, regardless the fact that we are the Caatinga in mm -hmm. uh, Brazil, which is the driest area of the country. Mm -hmm. We would be so happy with more emissions of CO2. <laughs> yeah. So once again, the environmentalists have it upside down. <laughs> of course, because it's their interest, right? Yeah, yeah, keep exactly. us poor, keep us busy trying to have some small food while they keep uh, pushing their own agenda. Mm -hmm. Jay, I think that many of the environmentalists just don't even want to know this. So they wouldn't go and investigate. What do you think? I, I couldn't agree uh, more, but I don't think it's, I think they actually do know and ignore it because it gets in the way of scaring the public. I mean, uh, these groups are very rich. They have huge amounts of money because the more they scare uh, the public, the more the public donates to them, those that uh, are easily duped by them. So I think uh, virtually all the major non-governmental organizations that Rafaela uh, was, was mentioning uh, do know the facts and it uh, doesn't get in their way because their goals are defeating capitalism and installing uh, Marxist government and getting rich. Believe me, these organizations and the people that work for them are very, very wealthy. Mm -hmm. We only have a couple of minutes left, but I was wondering if you could tell us, looking to the future, do you think this insanity about ending the use of fossil fuels is likely to end anytime soon in Brazil? I mean, in Brazil, we'll, we are working hard to people understand what's going on. And uh, Brazilians are kind of uh, hungry to know what is the truth and to get all the information could fall in their hands mm -hmm. to, to understand what's going on because they, they know now they have been played and they don't like that. And uh, the point is, different of the other side that have professional activists, most of us or the majority of us, we are not professional activists. So think about it uh, for the audience. We are putting our careers in line. We are putting even sometimes the time with our family and our safety. Mm -hmm. What we would want such type of a headache, right? So... It's uh, important to know that, for example, in Brazil, it's not just me. There is Professor Ricardo Felicio, Professor Mulion, who came way before me, and uh, they got canceled by the left. Nowadays, they don't even have a platform to talk. In my case, I'm safe because how they will cancel me, I still have my own life going about this business, and it's not... Uh, I'm not a professional activist. 
Mm-hmm. So even if they deplatform me, it's like, yeah, I will keep talking. I may yeah. not talk for thousands of people, but I will talk. Even if I have to do one-to-one, I will do it. Well, that's right. And we have all oh, up to 30,000 listeners to this show. So you're talking to a lot of people right now. Yeah, thank you, Dem. Thank you for <laughs> giving me opportunity to have a voice and especially to tell what's going on in my country. And the most important, I would like to really tell to people, CO2, it's not a problem. But mm-hmm. CO2, it's, uh, it's uh, responsible for increasing the crops production in my country and for keeping the forest as it is. And many people say now, oh, but the, the forest now it's emitting CO2. Yes, that it's part of the carbon cycle. Mm-hmm. When people create this alarm saying, oh, now the forest is being uh, emitting CO2 and therefore it's a problem. No, it's part of the carbon cycle from time to time. So many trees will die, therefore they will decompose and emit CO2. That's mm-hmm. not a problem. Yeah. Well, people should really listen. I mean, you have a PhD in chemistry, <laughs> so we're really glad to have you on the show. That's been we're our guest, Dr. Rafaela Nascimento, was our guest talking about Brazil and about the huge benefits of carbon dioxide. So thanks for being on, Rafa. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. And again, thank you for the opportunity. Okay. Well, this is Dr. Jay Lair and Tom Harris signing out from the other side of the story. Mm-hmm.